Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Hi, everybody. Um, happy Thursday. Welcome to Parsha class. Happy Hanukkah. Um, we are, tis the season. And um, it's, uh, I can see there are, you know, our numbers are a little lower than usual. People are traveling and it's the end of the year. A lot of people are break. We won't, I should say, we won't have class next week because I imagine even more people will be traveling who are going to skip a week. We'll come back in two weeks. Um, it's a quiet time here in LA. It's a quiet time of year, chilly, quiet time of year, but it's a very, very uh, busy, active, dramatic time in our, uh, in our calendar, both because of Hanukkah, um, and a great festive holiday, but, uh, but also because um, around Hanukkah time, we are always reading the story of Joseph and his brothers, and that's just explosive. It's just one of the most ex explosive, dramatic, um, uh, uh, stories in the Torah, in 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 the in the, the 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 great kind of ending narrative of the book of of Genesis, and it's back and forth and back and forth, and it's parsha after parsha after parsha. We started last week thinking uh, deeply about the Joseph story, and we're going to be in it now for a few more weeks. Okay, this week's parsha, Parshat Miketz, is begins with the incredible story of, of Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. He's, you know, starts off this week in jail and within a chapter, he's in charge of the whole country. Okay. Second only to Pharaoh. And, and that in itself is, is part of the, the mega drama here, but the, 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 um, the, 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 the tense uh, narrative um, of Joseph and his brothers really gets going um, when uh, Joseph's brothers come down to find food in Egypt and um, Joseph recognizes them and they don't recognize him, okay? And that's the critical um, device for what will be a, a, a back and forth game of um, manipulation, and trickery where Joseph um, is trying to get them to perform um, all these 
uh, these to 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 all these requests in order to prove. Uh, I don't know. It's we'll, we'll see. But what exactly are they they trying to prove? But Joseph is sending them back and forth, and they have to bring back their younger brother, and then he imprisons one, and he imprisons another, and there's a lot. Joseph is is playing games with his brothers. And one of the big questions that hovers over this, all of this drama is what is Joseph thinking? What is he trying to do here? What, why? I mean, there's an easy answer, I suppose. He's mad at them and he's getting back at them. But the, it's so intricate and he seems to have such a um, specific plan in mind that the commentators um, are uh, are have been asking um, for centuries. What what is what is it that Joseph is is trying to do here? What is his idea? What is his big plan? Or is it just vengeance? Is he just lashing out at them in any way that that he feels um, in in the moment? Okay, so that's actually a topic that uh, it's a classic and it's one that we have covered before uh two years ago not last year the year before we actually went deep into joseph's um um strategy and we'll do a little bit of, of review on that today but today i want to add a kind of parallel question which is um what is joseph thinking but what are his brothers thinking how are how are they understanding the drama that is is playing out because uh, it, it occurred to me this, this year, reading through the Parsha, that Joseph and his brother uh, and his brothers have two very different vantage points, two very different perspectives. And on the face of it, it's obvious Joseph knows that, that those are his brothers and they don't know it's Joseph. So they have different information. But as we'll soon see, they're also, I think, operating with very different visions of how the world works how um, the past influences the present, how, how time works and, and ultimately how God works, okay? So we've, we've looked at Joseph before um, and, and he has a very particular theology. We'll review that today, but I want today to put that in, in, in conversation, in dialogue with another theology, the theology of Joseph's brothers, because after all, that those theologies are in dialogue and once we understand how the, the two different parties are oriented, I think we'll have a better uh, ability to, to, to read and understand the rest of their actions moving all the way through the end of the book of Genesis, okay? So two different theologies of, of time um, that we're gonna be investigating today. So let's, uh, let's say a, a blessing and then uh, we'll get started. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Okay, all right, so let's begin. So um, uh, we begin in the moment, the, 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 the drama all uh, begins in this moment um, when Joseph uh, is, has been appointed now uh, the, we, the, the grand vizier uh, over all of Egypt. That's a word that I only ever use because it's the translation of... I've never used it in any other context, but it's somehow that's the translation for being the second in command, the shalit, the one who controls the whole of Egypt, except um, does not sit on the throne. Pharaoh makes it clear that you'll be in charge of everything, but 
you know, but me, everything but me. I am, I will be in charge, but you'll actually run the country. Okay. So he does that. And his big plan, because there's a famine coming, is to is to uh is to store grain. And that uh once the famine does hit, makes Joseph and Egypt um the center for resources in the region. And so when Jacob and the rest of the family begins to starve, they head down to Egypt to try and find sustenance. Okay, so here we go. Let's let's begin. Um, I'm just going to send you a source sheet here in the chat. Okay. All right. So um, this is uh, what we're going to start with is more familiar territory. If you happen to have been with us two years ago uh, this week, um, we you will have studied this with me before. Um, but but it's but it's also just uh, familiar in the sense that there are some classic answers here um, to the question of why is Joseph doing what he's doing, and we're going to see some of the classics played out in the in the medieval commentaries. So let's let's begin. Joseph was the vizier Hashalit the one who rules over the land. And it was he who dispensed rations to all the peoples uh, of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed low to him with their faces to the ground. Okay. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger towards them, or he made himself like a stranger. He made himself foreign uh, to them, and he spoke harshly to them. He asked them, from where do you come? And they said, from the land of Canaan to procure food. For though Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Okay, so the text is explicit on this. Joseph knew who they were. They did not know who Joseph was. Okay, and here is the kind of critical line. It's, a, it's strange just in the reading. You wonder why we get this detail, but actually it sort of opens up the analysis that that will that will follow of Joseph's behavior. Um, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the land in its nakedness. Okay, so you can see just even in the way this is one verse. And you can see the way it's divided into two parts. First, Joseph, rem and, and this is the part that, that comes unexpectedly, Joseph suddenly remembers the dreams that he had dreamed about them. That's part one. And then it seems in response, he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the land in its nakedness. Okay. So something about the, Joseph is, they're, they're, Joseph is, is, is sitting in his royal chair and they bow before him. And it's clear they don't recognize him. And then we're told that he remembers the dreams. Let me just remind you of the dreams. Joseph dreamed um, two dreams. Uh, actually, I think I have it on the page. So let's let's take a look at, at the two dreams. Mm. Once Joseph had a dream, which he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. Um, he said to them, hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. When suddenly my sheaf stood up and remained upright, then your sheaves gathered around and bowed low to my sheaf. And his brothers were upset, and you mean to reign over us, you mean to rule over us, they hated him even more. And then you dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers saying, look, I've had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
And when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father berated him. What are you, what, what did he said to him? Is this dream you have dreamed? Are we to come, I and your, and you, and your mother and your brothers and bow low to you to the ground? Okay, so th those are the dreams. Now, you tell me before we get into the kind of classic uh, commentary, what do you think is going on here? What's the significance of Joseph suddenly remembering the dream? Why is Joseph remembering the dreams in this moment? And if you buy my reading of that last line, the part one and part two, why is it that his memory of the dreams suddenly launches him into this, um, this, my, this, 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 um, uh, charade, this, this, this mind game he's going to play with them? You're spies. You're spies, and that will be his justification for the for the subsequent um, orders back and forth and back and forth. So. Tell me what's going on here. What 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 is what what's the significance of Joseph suddenly remembering the dreams? Who cares about the dreams? That's that's old news. Okay. Um, can someone speak that out for me? Because if not, Rashi will do it for you. Quiet so far. Um, Amy, please, uh, please. Uh, uh, I think trauma. Forward. I think trauma. He's remembering that they hated him and how that turned out. And it's a memory he doesn't want to have. It's suppressed memory. Okay, excellent. That is that's a that's a um, that seems like a basic um, psychological um, reading of of a, of a man who has a troubled past. And when he remembers the dream, says says Amy, what he's remembering is that all of those years of friction, tension, conflict, and especially the, the that opening scene from last week's Parsha where he's telling them the dreams and then they hate him and hate him and hate him and they throw him into a pit. So he's remembering, oh, these are the, these are the, these are the, the, the bastards that did this to me. Like these are, these are the, I remember what happened back in those days. Okay. Um, let's, let's keep, uh, let's keep going. Larry Zuckerman. Sure. Um, he's also on a roll, you know, he had those dreams a long time ago, and he just had some dreams that kind of paid off, and he's remembering his dreams. Okay, good. That's also that also seems to be um, in in the mix here. Joseph has since become a dream interpreter, and so you know part of what Joseph is remembering is the 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 dreams he once had set a theme in his life and he would interpret um more dreams in prison and interpret more dreams for pharaoh and that's how he got to where he is so there's there really is a connection between those dreams and this moment in time good all right let's take one more thought from leah i think we get to see the transition of uh, the growth of spiritual growth of joseph from a smart ass bratty, like 17-year-old, 16-year-old, to someone who brought before the Pharaoh says, I can't interpret your dreams, but Hashem can. And then, then his fortunes, you know, soar. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he's someone who has never, uh, is able to look back at his present dream life connected to his past dream life and show how he has changed, how he has grown. A okay, good. Okay. Yeah. 
So Leah builds on on Larry's comments and says it's 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 not it's like a theme that was set with the those opening dreams, but also Joseph uh, is is looking back at the at the history of dream dream having dream interpreting dream um, encountering. Joseph understands that he has become a wiser person. He has become a more sophisticated person. He's now the dream analyzer and maybe he's actually now the analyzer not the not the sort of passive um subject who has things done to him but more in command of the of the situation and and so there like there's something that makes sense about Joseph starting to control his brothers he is a man now in control and in command of a certain vision of the of the of the of the world of dreams and and maybe uh, maybe in a bigger picture, uh, what, what is it that Pharaoh says? There's nobody as wise and discerning as you. Right. So, um, so okay, great. These are all great um, psychological, human understandings of Joseph's um, evolution journey and then how he arrives in this moment. But the classical commentators... Um, we're going to look at several of them today from the medieval period. They have a different, or, or at least some of them have a have a a, a more metaphysical um, reading of uh, of 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 Joseph, or um, maybe more precisely, they think Joseph has a more metaphysical understanding of what's going on. They think that it isn't just Joseph's. Um, identification of certain themes and his own development, which seems like that seems like a good first um, level of analysis. But they think they think that something more is going on here. That the Torah reminds us of of Joseph's dreams, or the Joseph is reminded of his dreams for very specific reason. Okay, and that's what kind of gives us what I will call Joseph's theology. Okay, and Joseph has a very distinct theology, I would say distinct from almost any other character in the Torah. So let's take a look at how Rashi um, uh, builds on this for us. Oh, and by the way, what I want to what I want to do today, because I'm going to introduce you to um, a number of the classical commentators, is I want to just give you uh, links to them that you can read in case you want to one at a time. So let's start with Rashi. Rashi, who is um, an 11th century French, the most famous uh, of the commentators. And here's I just like, I just Googled all the, the Wikipedia pages, but just in case you're curious about these, these people that we're talking about, here's Rashi, okay? So now let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi says um, that Joseph, um, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them. Why did Joseph remember that he had, the dreams that he had dreamed Literally, the word here is to them, but Rashi makes clear that the that to them here means about them, and then begins to elaborate. He then knew v'yada shenit kaimu that they that the dreams had been fulfilled. Shehare hishtachavulo because look, his brothers had bowed down to him. Okay, so there's look at Rashi is 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 analyzing the text in a very precise way, uh, but then giving us a kind of, um, that you can see the, 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 the beginnings of a certain kind of um, theology here. So the, the precise reading is, look, his brothers came 
and they bowed low to him with their faces to the ground. Okay? Hishtachavulo. Hishtachavulo apayim artsa. So they bowed low to him. Well, in those dreams, or look at this key word that's bolded here. In both of the dreams, everybody is bowing to Joseph or to Joseph's sheaf. So they bowed low to the ground and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And J J Jacob, as he responds, he says, what are you, do you think we're all going to bow down to you? Okay, but that's precisely, Rashi says, no, no, that's the idea, is that the dreams told him that they would eventually bow down to him, and they did. So Rashi tells us, it's, it worked, it happened. The dreams weren't dreams, they were predictions, they were prophecies of the future, okay? And that, when we look at the other dreams that Yosef interprets, well, that starts to make sense. Yosef tells the prisoners whose dreams he interprets, this is what's going to happen to you. Joseph tells Pharaoh, whose dreams he interprets, this is what's going to happen to Egypt. So, oh, we forgot about those original two dreams, but maybe all the dreams in Joseph's life are predictive. Maybe that's what he understands. Okay, so that's one version of the theology. And I, I want to I wanna give you one more that's the, along the same lines, but even more, um, even more intricate and and actually slightly um, slightly different, I think, a slightly different theology. So this is Nachmanides. Um, Nachmanides is um, a great Spanish medieval commentator um, in the uh, here's his Wikipedia page. Um, and Nachmanides is it lives in the um, 12th century and, and 13th, 13th century, really. So a couple centuries later. Okay, so Nachmanides really gives us the, 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 the whole picture here, but it's a slightly different picture of what it means for, for Joseph to think of his dreams as predictive. Okay, so let's take a look at what Nachmanides says. Because actually Nachmanides sees himself as disagreeing with Rashi slightly. Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them, uh, meaning about them. He then knew that they had been filled, for they bowed down to him. That's what Rashi says. Okay, he quotes Rashi first. Then he says, but in my opinion, it was just the opposite. What does he mean? Because the verse says that it was when Joseph saw his brothers bowing down to him that he remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them. And he realized that they had not yet been properly fulfilled. Since he knew from his interpretations that first all his brothers would bow down to him. That's from his first dream where 11 wheat stalks bowed down to Joseph's wheat stalk, and that all his brothers would bow down to him. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think this is, this is a, a weird translation, but I think, and then all his brothers and his father and mother would bow down to him. So I think that's what it's got to be. I, okay. I think I didn't quote, uh, and his father. I think that's what he's trying to say. There's a first, all his brothers, um, uh, and then his father and mother would bow down to him. I think I cut this off too soon, but but that's the idea. And 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 so and since he did not see Benjamin with them, remember that's a significant part of the story. Benjamin's not there. He came up with this scheme to manipulate them into bringing Benjamin down and thus affect the realization of his first dream. 
You understand? That's why Joseph's doing what he's doing. That's why he wants to get them to bring Benjamin down, not just to mess with them, not just because he misses Benjamin, but because the dream must be fulfilled. And Benjamin's not here. He needs all his brothers to bow down to him in order to fulfill the dream. You know, and if not for this intention he has, Joseph would have been committing a terrible sin to tormenting his own father like that. You know, like it's a terrible, terrible thing. Joseph is is ripping his uh, his 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 youngest brother away from Jacob. Jacob had already lost Joseph. How could he do this? But says the Ramban, that's just the point. He understood he had to do this. He had to fulfill the dreams. Okay. Now let's let's just first stop for a moment and think about what is the difference between Rashi's version of Joseph's theology and the Ramban's version of Joseph's theology. Okay. Okay. So let's just think. Well, what's the difference between the two? And, and the simple difference is Ra, the, the Rashi says Joseph saw the dreams had been fulfilled. And Nachmanides says. Joseph saw that the dreams needed to be fulfilled, had not yet been fulfilled, and that it was up to him to fulfill them. Okay, those are different ways of viewing the same kind of idea, which is that those dreams are predictive and will come to manifest in the future. Okay, all right. So now, now you've got two versions of it. Let's speak out. What is Joseph's theology? What does he believe? How does he believe the world works, time works, dreams work, God's, God works? Like, how, how, speak out. What is it that Joseph is, if he, if he has a vision here of, of, of the way that, um, that events play out, what is that vision? Okay, so let's start to hear from folks. Matt Silverstein. Um, Nachmanides is saying... Joseph gets stuff from God and has to do what he's told. I don't think it's justified by the text. There's mm. nothing that says Joseph thinks the dreams are from God. The interpretation comes from God, but not the dreams. I think what Nachmanides is doing is trying to preserve the morality here. I think mm -hmm. his actual act is to try to say, Joseph couldn't have done that horrible thing. So let me find a way to bring God in so that Joseph didn't do this clearly horrible thing. Okay, that's really interesting. And I think Matt is right that there's, you see that at the end of Nachmanides' commentary, there's, it's, he, had, he gives us this idea that the dreams must be fulfilled. That Rashi had sort of had that also, though in Rashi's version, the dreams just simply are and will be fulfilled. But, um, but Nachmanides says the dreams must be fulfilled. And that's why Joseph did what he did. And otherwise it would have been cruel to do what he did. But it, it, it forgives Joseph because, and here's the sort of the moral piece, there it seems there is... They're ab above, over and above the the the, the moral the the, the moral um, uh, analysis of of human interactions. There's this higher principle, which is that what God um, wants, wills, directs us towards must be fulfilled, and sometimes that will take place in ways that seem to us to be immoral or cruel or manipulative, but Joseph is, is justified, Nachmanides is justifying Joseph because Joseph realizes 
you, nobody gets this, but I have to make sure these dreams come true. That's God's will. And it's going to play out in ways that look uh, 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 unpleasant, but actually there's a higher purpose going on here. Good. Okay. Yonatan. First of all, I, I absolutely loved um, Alexander's commentary, and I think I think it fits so well. Um, one of Nachmanides' biggest sins is he wants to imagine the the prophets um, and the patriarchs and the matriarchs as constantly doing the right thing, and he's rarely willing to acknowledge that the Torah might give us accounts of people that we're supposed to admire, but we're also capable of making a mistake. Um, in Joseph's case, if he really, really believed this, if he really believed that his dream were an inevitable prophecy, he wouldn't have needed to exercise agency to make it happen, right? So there's some admission on his part that his, his visions aren't inevitable that God doesn't control everything absent a partnership with people. And this reminds me a lot, I think the, I think the best commentary on the story of Joseph is, is actually the book of Esther, um, where Esther goes through like so many of the same positions. Uh, she shares them with Mordechai a little bit, but um, goes through so many of the same positions as Joseph. And she too, has the, this moment where she's called on to, to enter a pivotal moment in her in the, the first feast she has with the with the emperor. And then she decides she needs to have a second feast, right? Like the, and by the second feast, she's like ready to do the right thing. I, I, I just think Mo, uh, Joseph's caught unprepared. Like, I just don't think he's ready. Um, and, and that's why he, he needs time. Okay. Okay, good. Good. So Yonatan identifies, Yonatan really speaks out the, the, the distinction. It's a critical distinction, though, though it's, it's somewhat subtle, the, the difference between Rashi's and Nachmanides, or the Ramban's, um, understandings of, of Joseph's um, theology here. Uh, uh, and, and the critical difference is that Rashi sees Joseph as just recognizing the patterns in time, the fulfillment of God's prophecies, the, the way that everything just proceeds according to God's plan. Whereas Nachmanides sees Joseph um, also um, recognizing God's intention or signaling, but Nachmanides suggests that Joseph understood that he had to do something in order to make it happen. Okay, it doesn't just happen. Joseph has to respond accordingly to participate in this in this drama in such a way that it bring. We, that's a different kind of thing. We have a responsibility to bring about God's will in the world. Is different than there's no there's no control at all. God just God just does what God does. Okay, so that those okay, but both of those theologies see um, the will of God as the kind of overarching primary driving force or, or either driving force uh, and or priority. God's will must be manifested, followed in the world. Okay, that 
is one theology, and we can see it in Joseph again and again. Here, let me give you the most, most explicit version of it. In, in uh, Joseph, after he reveals himself to his brothers, says, God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. You, you didn't even know what you were doing. God did all of this. God is the engine. God is the director. God is the movement behind behind all of the actions that have brought us to this moment. Okay, very very distinct. That there there you have um, the beginnings of Joseph's um, um, the, of Joseph's theology. We'll see him rearticulate this again at the end of, of Genesis. But let's now turn to his brother's quote unquote theology. Okay, now we started in chap in the um, in chapter. 42 here, verses six through nine, they're bowing low and Joseph remembered and he said, you're spies. And then Joseph says, you're spies and I don't believe you. And you're going to have to go back and bring your younger brother back down here in order to prove it, right? Which is where Nachmanides gets this idea that, oh, he knew that all his brothers had to bow down to him, right? Okay. Now let's go back to chapter 42 and see how the brothers respond. He confines them in uh, the guardhouse for three days in prison, basically. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you shall live, um, for I fear God. If you're being honest, let one of your brothers, uh, one of you brothers, be held in your place of detention while the rest of you go and take home rations for your starving households. But you must bring me your younger brother that your words may be verified and you may not die. And they did accordingly. And they said to one another, now this, this, now here, here we hear, we hear their perspective. And what I was struck by reading the Parsha this year is that Joseph is remembering the past and he knows that these are his brothers, but his brothers are also remembering the past. They said to one another, alas, we are being punished on account of our brother because we looked on at his anguish yet paid no heed as he pleaded with us. That is why tragedy has come upon us. Okay? They, they, suddenly they remember the olden days. They remember what they did to Joseph. Um, by the way, as he pleaded with us, that we, we didn't hear in the original story. So we're getting more detail. Joseph, please don't do this to me, please, please. And we paid no attention. And that is why tragedy has come upon us. And then Reuben has a kind of a, a related but, but, but different read on this, which is that Reuben spoke up and said, did I not tell you, do no wrong to the boy, but you paid no heed. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Vagam damo hinevi drash. Um, his blood is being sought after, right? Avenged, reckoning, okay? Okay, so there's the brother's response. That is why tragedy has come upon us because of what we did. And now the reckoning has come, okay? So let's try to like speak this out. What's the distinction? Joseph looks back at the past and sees a prediction for the future, a, a, a dream that is being fulfilled or must be fulfilled or that takes takes priority over all of the um, the kind of seemingly cruel actions here in the in the earthly realm. What is his, his brothers look at the past and what do they think? What is their vision of God, history, um, uh, and and the and the and the effect of the of the past on on the present? 
Okay, let's let's speak out what what theology are you seeing here? It's quite different than Joseph's theology, though they are both backwards looking. All right, so let's see. Um, so here is um, the brothers. Remember, say that's why this tragedy has come upon us. And now comes the reckoning for his blood. So the Rashbam says this tragedy has come upon us. And here's a famous, famous rabbinic phrase: midak neged midah. It's not just a rabbinic phrase; it's a Shakespearean phrase. Measure for measure. Okay, literally, measure for measure. Midak neged midah. We threw Joseph into a pit, and now we have been jailed in the pit of captivity. Okay, so there's one version of this theology. It's like what you do will be done unto you. Karma. When you do something in the world, you will be punished for it or rewarded for it. It's in some ways, just classic reward and punishment theology. But the idea is measure for measure. Right? What, what you have done, there will be a constant where there'll be an echo. You will get back what you deserve. So it's it's not just that there are consequences, but that there is a kind of, um, there is still a divine hand, but the divine hand is responding to your behavior. You do something that deserves a consequence. You throw someone in a pit, you will be thrown into a pit. Okay. So that's one version. And the other one is from um, the um, Rabbi um, David Kimchi, um, uh, the, the Radak. And the Radak, uh, also a French medieval uh, commentator. Um, Radak, by the way, is it would also be, if I uh, were one of the medieval commentators, would also be my name. So I have a fondness for the Radak, right? David Kimchi or Kasher, <laughs> right? Same, same, um, um, uh, uh, same initials there. So this is the Radak. And what the Radak says, I think, is related um, to what the Rashbam just said. The Radak says, um, this is why tragedy has come upon us. We learn from this story that when tragedy comes upon a person, they should take an account of their actions. Um, and figure out what evil they have done. And then they should repent and confess before God and ask for forgiveness. Okay. Okay. So, you see how those theologies work together. The Rashbam says, what you have done will be, there will be consequences for measure for measure. And what the Radak adds to it is, and so when something bad happens, look at what you've done. Think about what you've done. Why is this happening to me? What bad karma do I have in the world? And then respond accordingly. Do tshuva. This is like, what theology is? This is Yom Kippur theology, right? But it's also a very strong reward and punishment theology, right? God will punish you for bad behavior. God will reward you for good behavior. So if you have bad behavior, look over what you've done. See why you why this is happening to you, okay? That's a different theology. Now, um, oh, I guess I have two questions as we come to the end here. And one of them is... Which of these theologies, well, let me ask them in the opposite. First of all, I'm curious, which of these theologies do you prefer? Do you like either of them? Do you, do you subscribe to either of these theologies, right? The one being um, there's a divine plan and there's almost no altering that plan, though we may play a role in it. And the other being that, the, as, as Laura put it, we have free will, 
but there are consequences to our actions. That's where God comes in. And we have to, you know, take account of our actions, do, 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 do the work to, to undo the wrongs of the past, uh, lest we be, um, lest we suffer the consequences of our actions. So one question is, do you like one of those theologies more than the other? Uh, do either of them work for you? And the other kind of, the other question that I want to throw out as we come to the end here is, which of those theologies is the Torah's theology? Which one of them feels more like Jewish theology? Which one um, are you familiar with? Have you seen before? Which one do you think is more common to the Torah's, um, the Torah's account of how God acts in history? Is it that God just has a plan? Or is it that um, reward and punishment? God will watch what we are doing and respond accordingly. Okay, so let me give a chance for anyone else who hasn't spoken to raise hands. No? Okay, in that case, I'll hear from um, Yonatan and Alexandra, and then we'll close. The answer is always both, right? Like, always both. Um, everything mm. is known in advance, but that doesn't mean you don't have a choice, just because God knows all the choices that all of us are going to make. Good. Okay, good. And, and in some ways, I feel like that's sort of like uh, Nachmanides' like middle position, right? Like there are things that are happening and known, and God has a vision, a plan. But we can—it's—it's it's both, and it's both together in a way that gets complicated. We can respond once we start to see God's plan. We can respond by trying to carry it out, or trying to ameliorate, it, or trying to better it, or trying to alter it slightly. God has a big vision, but we can recognize that and participate in it. Okay, and and try to to fix it, to alter it. Okay, good. And Alexandra? Thank you so much. Um, I love Yonatan's comment. And um, just to maybe add a little color to it is that it's both and also not so much necessarily reward and punishment, but learning opportunities. So if we have, the, I think that what, what struck me as challenging with the previous commentator who said, it's a sort of like a punishment is not necessarily, so you don't necessarily deserve a tragedy, but there are learning opportunities within a tragedy. And it's always worthwhile to look at that as opposed to why did I deserve this, but how can I grow from this? Good, 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 good. Okay, so both of these comments and, uh, and I would mention um, Laura's earlier, um, allow for and even um, um, celebrate or 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 honor the role of our response, our action, our agency, our ability to learn from and grow from and change our behavior. And you know, as I said, this is like this is Yom Kippur theology. This is like tshuva to do tshuva to to know that there are consequences to our actions, and therefore to to figure out what we've done wrong and try to change ourselves so that we have better consequences to our actions. I'll answer the the question that I the questions I just asked myself. And you know, in line with these last comments, I do think that if I had to pick, I think that the Torah is more as a as a whole is more interested in this idea that there are consequences, but that you can you can determine your destiny and your fate, and you can avoid those consequences or incur them based on good or bad behavior. And, you know, there are many proof texts for this, but I will say if Reuben was thinking of one text, like where do you get that idea of a reckoning? 
The language that he uses is the same language that God speaks to Noah when Noah comes out of the ark for your own and gives him these, these new laws. You can't kill people. For your own lifeblood, I will require a reckoning, right? I, I, I will require it of every beast of humankind too. I will require a reckoning, meaning a, I will seek consequences. I will respond to what you've done and I will punish you. Whoever sheds human blood by human hands, that one's blood shall be shed. So there is a, there's a, there's a response. There's a, there's a, there's a consequence to your actions, right? So that like that, I think overall is the message that the Torah repeats. God says, do good and you will have good, do bad and you will have bad. There's a learning in Alexander's language. There are consequences, but I do think, I do think that Joseph in particular has a kind of a different vision. That is, Joseph is more deterministic. Joseph believes more in this idea that God is in charge of the big plan, more so than we usually hear from the, from the mouths of any other characters in the Torah, more than we usually hear from the Torah uh, itself. And we saw one version of it before, right? Joseph said, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God sent me here. So just listen, that this, these are some of the last lines of Genesis. And um, we've done this class today in order, as I suggested at the beginning, to kind of see how these two visions of God and the world continue to play out in the, in the, in the actions and in the language of Joseph and his brothers. Take a look at this last conversation. You can see the brothers thinking the same thing, like, oh my goodness, we will be punished for what we've done unless we can make good or make tshuva for it. And Joseph responding, no, 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 there's a bigger picture than all of that. So this is after Jacob dies, we'll end with this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did him? So they sent this message to Joseph. Before his death, your father left this instruction. So you shall say to Joseph, forgive, I urge you, the offense and guilt of your brothers who treated you so harshly. Now, it's not clear that Jacob actually said that. There's a, there's a question as to whether they're just making that <clears throat> making that up or not. But anyway, that's what they say. So you see, they're still in the mindset of, can we make right the wrongs of the past so that we don't continue to suffer from them? Therefore, please forgive the offense of the servants of the God of your father's house. And Joseph was in tears as he spoke to them. And his brothers, they went to him themselves, flung themselves before him. And they said, we are prepared to be your slaves. Why are they saying that? They made Joseph a slave. So they recognized they might need to be slaves in order to make measure for measure to make that right. But what does Joseph say? Joseph says, have no fear. Am I in the place of God? You think I'm the one who's dealing out consequences or what you think I'm, I'm in charge here? I'm not in charge. Besides, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good so as to bring about the present result, the survival of many people, okay? And that formulation, that's a particularly bold, radical formulation of this idea that Joseph keeps having that God has the plan. And now what Joseph is saying is, even, even those things which sometimes you think are wicked actions, you think you control the future, you think there are cons actually that was also part of God's plan. And you're an agent and even your worst behaviors are still, uh, still have you acting as an agent in the big picture of God's plan. And there's a way in which what Joseph is saying is, don't worry about the consequences of every little action. What we need to come to see is the big picture of what God intends. We're all just little players in that game. Okay, so I don't know which theology you would subscribe to, but now I think you can see that Joseph has 
a, a, a very distinct theology, distinct from his brother's theology, and maybe distinct from from all of the the other theological statements that we get in the Torah. Okay, so we'll continue to see those two theologies play out over the next couple of weeks, um, heading towards um, the end of Genesis. Um, we're going to skip next week because of uh, the, the 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 travel time, the holiday season, and then we will see you again in two weeks. Love to you all. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Love to everyone. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Bye. Thank you. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today. Uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archived classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and uh, And in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.